Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. Today we're going to be talking about something we're dubbing toxic positivity. And, you know, this episode was very much your idea, Lou. So I guess, do you want to start us off with, you know, what that is exactly? Sure. What are we talking about? Yeah. So, I mean, I I don't believe that we coined this term in any possible way. Um, it's it's basically the idea that you're stuck in a situation where you're forced to be so happy all the time that it's actually draining and, and making things worse for you. Uh, if you've ever worked in guest services, I truly believe, or customer service, any kind of service industry in general, this is probably something you've experienced. Everybody's all bright and bubbly around you and s- while stuff is going sideways. And it, it like that dissonance causes problems. A little behind the scenes speak, I was in fact going to try as a bit to maintain just a complete positive attitude during this entire episode. And about 15 seconds in, I realized there was no way I was doing that. <laughs> not not even not even possible to attempt. Yeah, it's, it's the nonstop bright side thinking that can and has really harmed a lot of workplaces. So what made me think about this in particular was there was an article from somewhere vice vice by gita jackson yep them that was talking about stitch fix and it's labor shortage right now and part of the article is talking about how there has been a mass walk-off at stitch fix because of changes that they have made to their scheduling policies and making it less friendly to people who have other jobs and need to work and do this job around their position. Um, So it's making it a lot less flexible. But part of what that article also mentioned is that a lot of the people at Stitch Fix felt that there was a culture of having to constantly be positive. And any kind of negative comment whatsoever was either removed or you had uh, complaints written, not complaints, but you had like a write-up from your boss and said, if you don't take that negative comment down, then you're going to be fired. And and the specific incident that you're talking about, that stylist, which is the term that Stitch Fix uses for its employees. Can we just explain what Stitch Fix does for people yeah. who might not be familiar if that helps? Stitch Fix is a service that basically you you pay in, you pay a fee, and you sort of give the site an idea of kind of what your style preferences are, what you like in your clothing. And then a stylist on the other end is ideally supposed to put together a box of items that they send you you choose what you keep and you pay for that and then you you can send the rest back and you pay the styling fee which is what they you know keep on top of whatever else you buy and originally it was supposed to be that you were getting a personalized you know fit from somebody or a fix pardon me is the official term but as it turns out now stylists are increasingly being asked to abide by the strictures of an algorithm. So oh, we that, love them. That, so so they're, they're asked to be subject to math, very complicated computerized math, and now they're unable to register complaints and things like that because if you do the specific incident that Lou was talking about, that person, I think, had three meetings over the course of a week, the last of which they were told if you do this again, you will be fired. And they used to be able to communicate internally separately from management size. And then management simply removed the ability to do that. 
because it would violate the Stitch Fix OS. First off, the idea that you can like algorithm out stylistic tastes and problems is on a small scale, the STEM versus humanities discussion that we've been having (laughs) through our society over the last three decades and uh, constantly elevating STEM over humanities education to the point where people can program computers and have no ethics for what to do with that ability. Please do go off. (laughs) (laughs) But we're here to talk about the positivity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but they are connected because this algorithm came out and the the company is making their humans that do the labor for them abide to this computer that doesn't know what it's doing and they don't have any way to address those complaints. Uh, For example, one of the examples given was if in your write-up that said what you like and what you don't like to to Stitch Fix, if you said, I don't like yellow, then the algorithm would just pick up yellow and give you yellow things. So the exact Elon opposite. Elon Musk would have hated that. <laughs> yeah, he really <laughs> would have. Uh, just, But but the, the misery, he would have been 100% on board. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, Noted Stitch Fix customer, Elon Musk. I bet you, though. some Something makes me think that's possible. He'd be better dressed if that was the case. Moving that's on. That's fair. Anyway, the, <laughs> the tools that you're being given to use are counterproductive, but you don't have any way to fix it. And I think anybody who has worked in COVID times can recognize the, and the frustration with that and understand, like, you have bosses that are telling you that you have to get this job done. And even though you are broken inside, either mentally or physically or emotionally, uh, you're still being told that you have to get this done. I mean, how many people I know, me specifically, like we've been told that we need to just keep going and we need to make anything work regardless of the costs or situation you might be in, because you could lose your job and you're you should be thankful that you still have a job. And and that breeds positivity right there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's frustrating to be in that situation and to know deep down that you are not being heard. That that any kind of, if you're not 100% on board with whatever is being given to you, that you have no voice in this situation. And that's that's what the toxic part of this positivity is. And we should kind of talk about what Stitch Fix sort of did after all of this, like what the most recent thing is, which is that the whole point of working for Stitch Fix was that if you had a computer and a phone, you could work from home and you could set your own hours. So you could work as little as five hours a week, have a day job or not work at all if that's what you needed. You know, if if for whatever reason you needed that those flexibilities, you could have them. Now they've told their humans you know, the people doing all the freaking work that they are going to have to work 20 hours a week. They've replaced whatever it was, the, the logging system that they have with a point system that is apparently completely unattainable. And then they've also told them that they've put all promotions because I guess you used to be able to become a senior stylist and make a little bit more money. And they've put all of those on hold and they've told people nobody's going to become full time. Nobody's going to be making more than this, blah, blah, blah. And they did all of this without listening to any of the concerns of their workers, obviously. Well, and how could they? Because every time anybody shares a concern, they delete it, write them up, send their managers in to give them a talking to, and threaten to fire them, which breeds positivity, of course, because what other choice do you have? Right. So you end up with a bunch of people who are overworked, underpaid. You know what? I'm just going to quote the title of the article because that's pretty much what i'm doing they're unheard they're overworked and they're at the mercy of robots and the robots in question are breaking down all the time so they they don't even these algorithms not only don't work from a customer service standpoint but they don't even work from a technological standpoint they're they're constantly breaking down suggesting things that or rather being unable to suggest things that should be available Because that's the other thing, the dreaded supply chain struck again, and nothing is ever available for the season that it's needed in. But you've got, like, none of this stuff is even working just from a basic quality control point of view. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've talked in the past uh, on the show about 
you know, the increasing reliance on algorithms, at especially companies within the gig economy. We've talked about what the algorithm is doing to DoorDash drivers and, you know, any number of workers who are subject to whims that they can't understand because the whims are hidden behind, you know, 17,000 lines of code. I, I want to quote a bit from this article that gets into some of the sort of um, cultural issues going on at Stitch Fit. Um, quote, the only way to voice complaints is to comment on the thread, capital T, capital T, an internal board where managers make announcements. If you leave a comment with any negativity, it will be deleted, Stylus said. Sometimes making negative comments leads to a one-on-one meeting with a manager. Quote, the only options we had available for communication were emails and the thread, their company-wide messaging board, one Stylus said. Everything you wrote was public, and it was heavily implied that being too negative meant that you were incompatible with the SFOS, Stitch Fix Operating System. I tried to have meetings with my lead to express frustration with inventory difficulties and clients that were justifiably upset at the lack of clothing options and was told, politely, to just deal with it. SFOS is one of those really haunting notions that's going to stick with me from this article. I hate the thread. Because that sounds like the dystopian mm. thing that we're all trying to destroy. That would be the title so, of the young adult novel yes, version. Exactly. Of story, exactly. Yes. That gets I, and the thread yeah. gets blown up in the third movie or whatever. Yeah, referring to your workplace culture as an operating system is real messed up. Wild. Yeah. Huge no no. And you can tell how much this company cares about its people by referring to the people as an operating system. Um, it's just weird, weird people. We, we finally got into the point where they're treating each of us as a line of code, which is great. Normal. Oh, I don't like that. Love thought. to be here. That's a bad thought. I'm going <sighs> to quote a bit more. Uh, one stylist says, quote, the supervisor said to my lead that if my communication steps outside the OS requirements, like, the ideal conversation guidelines for Stitch Fix, that is grounds for immediate termination, the stylist said. She called out a couple of specific ones. For her core value, she called out authenticity, integrity, and responsibility, whatever those mean. The opposite of what they would mean, because authenticity, you're being told not to express yourself. So that's (laughs) the opposite of authenticity. They are representing um, the concerns of their customers. That's integrity. And foreshadowing, we will get into how much people want you to represent the interests of your customers Um, and responsibility. Like that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to put responsibility (laughs) as a thing when you are in no way responsible for what is in your warehouse. As a part-time worker, you have no control whatsoever about what they keep and what they've ordered. And having the workers constantly have to take responsibility for things they don't have access to is unhealthy, to put it mildly. There's there's a big thread through all, no pun intended, through all uh-huh. of this. I'm very reminded of this phrase because I've heard it a lot of work and this is way pre-pandemic. Like this is a half decade plus. And it's always- no, what are you- this bit doesn't work if you keep trying to ruin it (laughs) and the thing about it is they keep saying you can only control how you react to things which is a self-help mantra okay all like seven of the self-help books my parents bought me when i was a kid that's a story for another day all of them mentioned that as like a big thing like you need to remember that you can control how you react to things if things if bad things happen in your life It sucks, but you can decide how you're going to take them. And that's one thing about like, I don't know, like getting sick or having to move or whatever. But so again, behind the scenes, uh, Ryan has just posted in our chat here, great Christmas gifts in the McKinnon house. They did that. That's not a lie. They did sometimes happen at Christmas and you can't see him laughing, but he is. I promise you they're all laughing (laughs) out of frame. 
Anyway, but at work, it's a different thing because it's one thing if it's about something that happens in your to change your health status or because you have to move or whatever the heck. But when it's specifically about earning a living, the idea that you are given no control over a situation and then told as like that little repugnant cherry on top of the cake there, you're 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 told you have to deal with this because that's all you get. You decide in your brain, in your software, how you're going to handle this problem. And that's all you can control. We're not going to give you any autonomy. We're not going to give you any authority. It's a wild way to run a workplace while claiming the things that people like, I'm forgetting uh, her name, the, the CEO of Stitch Fix, but it's like, this is Steph Corey stuff. This is this is completely turning around what all of these words mean. And and it's using them to essentially train workers to not believe not only in themselves, but in any of these values, or that they could ever be representative of them. It's essentially training them to to not see these things of authenticity and integrity as even realities that they ever have to contend with. Just I have a little bit of personal experience in the last few weeks of sort of being on the customer service end of a problem I didn't create and cannot solve. And like, that's a really helpless feeling. That is a feeling that uh, no boss should put their worker through. That should be like the number one thing you do not leave your workers hanging out to dry like that with a problem you've generated and that, the worker can't do anything to help the customer worth. That's there's nowhere they can go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, nowhere, nowhere we can say that won't get us fined. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, Ryan. It's it's you can't help but feel like this is a joke and this is a trap. And there's like somebody's gonna come out and be like, "Psych, surprise! I didn't mean any of this." Because there's, like, what else are you going to do? And that's where the positivity and having to turn that into not a complaint but an opportunity, uh, which is what a lot of these companies want you to do, that's where it becomes ridiculous and insane. Um, Because a sane person would take that situation and be like, hey, this was a really crappy situation I was in uh, where I couldn't do anything and it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. You should be able to go to the person's whose fault it was and say, hey, this was a really crappy thing. Maybe don't do it next time and make that a learning opportunity. But in these workplaces where positivity is the the founding motivation, what you end up doing is you you can't say anything. You'd be like, oh, yep, that was, you know, I made the best of it. We, we It was an opportunity to turn it around for the customer. And that's insane. That's really bizarre. I think there's like a broader Silicon Valley mindset about uh, grinding and persevering mm-hmm. through problems like this that results in this sort of culture and the way it's framed. But I, I, I mean, looked at from another angle, you might see this, uh, you know, thread that Stitch Fix has and the censorship going on there is just ordinary business stuff. Just ordinary business saying, no, please don't complain about the job or we will punish you. It, you know, it's framed in this, you know, bow and ribbon of, you know, we want everybody to be positive, but this is very old stuff, actually. It's nothing innovative or new. It's, and as we know, this is what Silicon Valley does. It packages old labor concepts up as revolutionary new ideas. And and I think what's key there is that it gets employees to go along with it out of a desire to climb the ladder, out of fear of avoiding punishment, whatever. So you you do get people, and Lou, here we go, I'll make you happy, so I teach. And you do get a number of employees who will tell you about all the problems they have with their job. And sometimes the list will be quite long. It, it starts to seem like laundry. And then they will hit you with, but, you know, I mean, I love coming to work for the kids and, and the relationships and blah, blah, blah. And while I think, obviously, there is part of that, because if a job is 0% rewarding, well, you really won't want to do it. But you often get the sense talking to them that they tack that on because they know 
that anybody who's listening to that list of complaints, especially if it's not a fellow teacher, immediately thinks their commitment to their job is suspect because they said all the things they hate about it. And you definitely see that in a lot of cases, this is because they've been encouraged by management to talk like all the problems with their job is other adults in the building, other co-workers, especially not administrators. Or if it's administrators, it's one particular one that they have a personal grudge with, but it's always things that nobody can really control because your bosses don't control themselves. That's why they're your bosses. So they don't have to. And, you know, problems like not enough funding or, you know, no air conditioning in the classroom or whatever. Things that that can't be, that are, quote unquote, unsolvable, you know? And it's a way to maintain this emotional control over them without making it clear, if you're the, the manager in question, that you know the job sucks. I, I think this is... a version of what uh, Sarah Jaffe writes about in her book, Work Won't Love You Back, which we've discussed on the show in the past. Uh, She writes this idea, um, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the exact quote in front of me, that, you know, because the assumption is that you will find fulfillment through work, if you aren't finding that fulfillment, that's an individual failing on your part. That's not a problem with work. That's, That's a you problem. Instead of a problem with your boss or your workplace. And it becomes a way of making us individualize and internalize all our problems rather than seeing them as bigger systemic things. That never happens. And we on Punching Out definitely would not talk about them if it did. Um, Yeah, that would never happen. We've never seen that, not even recently. I I think that's as good a place as any to wrap up this segment. When we come back, we're going to talk a bit more about um, this idea of toxic positivity and the other ways it's manifesting itself in workplaces here and far. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Still hey, y'all. We talked a bit in the first segment about what's been happening at this company, Stitch Fix, and the their workers' complaints that uh, the company is enforcing a culture of what they call toxic positivity upon them, and thus silencing any complaints they might have about the algorithms, curious choices in fashion, and you know the changes the company has made to their working hours and how much they get paid, which has been uh, materially impactful towards them. We want to shift in this segment now to get into a bit of the why. And I guess the the way Lou phrased this during the break is, why do companies even care if we're happy at work as long as we're putting in the work? Do you have any theories on that, Lou? Because your workplace is a soulless monster who really doesn't care about you as a person. Personal opinions aside, though, uh, yeah, there's tons and tons of research, quote unquote, about how being positive at work increases productivity. So it's important for you you as a worker and a workplace to encourage people to be positive in order to get more done. With that is how to become positive. And basically, all of the the advice out there that you can get is fake it until you feel it. Uh, As my high school principal told us once, fake it till you feel it, which is deeply upsetting in a lot of ways. That is, uh, we're learning a lot an, about our host's childhood. <laughs> I I don't even think the principal I work for would say that. Right? Well, <laughs> yeah. Different times, different places. Anyway, so that's that's the attitude that a lot of these workplaces have. And, and the individual, it's always on the individual to make that positive attitude and atmosphere. And you're smiling when you don't feel like it because the research, 72 point air quotes, says that even pretending to smile will eventually lead to real smiles, allegedly. And 
having an attitude of positivity will lead to positivity itself. Um, fake laughing, all of these things. All of these really gimmicky ways are ways to improve your positivity in the workplace. Um, and again, mostly it, it falls on the individual to do. So even though you're not having a good time, you're supposed to fake it and pretend like you enjoy your work because then you might actually accidentally enjoy your work. Seems a little suspect to me. But I guess the question then becomes, why does it matter whether we enjoy our work? What what is what is supposed to be what is purported to be in all of that seventy two point air quote research the effects of workers who enjoy what they're doing? Yeah, I mean the the effect is supposed to be increased productivity. Uh, of course. That yeah, as the the happier you are at work, or workplaces that are reported to be happier are also workplaces that are more productive. Uh, so in the end, as always, as we've seen in four years of doing this, the it's about the bottom line. And it's about getting as much as possible from your workforce as as humanly you are capable of doing. It's it's a sickness. It's a sickness. But so that's why these companies like Stitch Fix and probably your workplace listener, uh, wherever you work, is is doing this and trying to promote it as if you're you're faking your positivity, then eventually you will be happy yourself. The the thing that comes to mind for me when discussing this is like the famous like Walmart morning chants where they have employees all gathered together to like chant the company name like cheerleaders would, and you know everybody claps and they're supposed to have a good time, but nobody really does. I I can't imagine anybody really does. This is not something I've experienced personally, but it, you know, it's out there in pop culture now that this is a thing that happens. And we have so many of these uh, companies like trying to impose upon their workers this attitude of we're a big family here. We love it here. It's all happy, fun times and smiles. And I, I think part of the issue is that it's being imposed on people and that naturally will grate on you. And I think not to, by the way, if you want to know more about Walmart uh, from, from an inside perspective, you can listen to punching out episode one one where we talked about the big W in more, more like the big L in all its horrible ways, shapes or forms. And we did talk about the chant that got brought up. That's what reminded me to go look for it. But the the thing I wanted to mention, so you're saying, you know, something that struck me when we're talking about this, right? You look at, and this is about to be a bit of a swerve, but you look at media coverage of, for example, a parade in the DPRK or some other official enemy of the United States having like a holiday celebration or whatever. And the discussion is how all of these people are being forced to look happy and forced to fake their contentment, and so on and so on. And as far as I can tell, the real objection is that it's not a private business forcing them to do it. Because when it's that, it is perfectly fine for us as a culture. I think, ultimately, and this goes back to something I said in the previous one, but uh, in the previous episode, but on a sort of micro level, this is about control. This is bosses forcing you to feel a certain way or forcing you to fake like you feel a certain way because it gets them off. Like this is, this is what they like to see from people. They like to see that you knuckle under. They like to see that you're a 72 point air quote team player by pretending to manipulate your emotions to what they want to see. Because then when they're picking somebody to join their leadership team, or when they're picking the next golden person to, you know, move up the ranks, they find the person who can most honestly fake this stuff. And then in education, we're having this stuff pushed on us. We're being told to emphasize, you know, emotional management and collaborative skills and all of this other stuff that has nothing to do with competence and nothing to do with acquiring competence, but it is all about, do you play nicely in the sandbox? And when I was a newer teacher, I understood the point i guess i still do but increasingly what i've noticed is that 
the reason there is no discussion of any kind of knowledge of any kind of acquisition or anything like that is that what they want is good little worker drones. Like when you complain about education systems just producing out worker drones, I hate to tell you this, the most like modern, forward-thinking, progressive consultants, this is what they're pushing. They are pushing this stuff. They are pushing toxic positivity. That's what they want to see in classrooms. Yeah, absolutely. And and you see this in every single workplace right now, unless for whatever reason you are extraordinarily fortunate, I'd say, um, to not be in a situation where you have to be nice, play nice with others, regardless of the situation you're in. And and that's not to say that you shouldn't, you know, play nice with your coworkers. Like you just shouldn't go around being a jerk just to be a jerk. Um, that's just not good comradely behavior. And we at Punching Out do believe in good comradely behavior. Speaking for myself, anyway. But this exactly as Noah said, like forcing it from top down, it completely puts the power of the situation in the position of the bosses. So instead of being in a workplace that might be better for everyone, management and everyone else included, where you can collaborate and say, this is a problem and these are the concerns we have and let's solve them together. You are in a situation where you're being told, no, that's not actually a problem. And the it puts the power entirely on the people that you have to continuously say yes to. And a really good example of this is uh, something that's been floating around on TED Talks for a while now is, is yes and workplace management. Um, prof don't like where this is going. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is, this is icky. Uh, so yes. And is, uh, improv comes from the land of improvisation. So whose line it is it anyway? Um, Saturday night live, that kind of thing. So already we're in real sketch territory, but this is being sketch, sketch. We're just yucking it up over here today. Uh, <laughs> the point is it, it's been now adapted to being a, an actual workplace strategy to have people, instead of coming up and saying, no, we can't do that, and having negativity in the workplace, you need to approach everything as yes and. So as an example, how that would work is, hey, uh, we need to open in unsafe conditions because we need to hit a bottom line because of COVID. And you're supposed to go instead of like, hey, whoa, that's not a be- that's not a good idea. You're supposed to go like, yes. And on top of that, let's wow the guest with better experience or something like that. Uh, it's it's weird. I've said that a lot this episode, but it's like that's not a normal thing to do. And that's I think correct. It's- Improv is not a normal thing to do. <laughs> It's it's a really weird strategy to base your entire workplace culture around as there's no such thing as saying like maybe this isn't a good idea because there's there's no line like you just have to keep pushing it and pushing it. Well, you talk about improv and I, I mentioned Work Won't Love You back earlier. I'm now going to mention the other book that I'm always bringing up on this show, which is David Graeber's BS Jobs. Um, he has this bit in there about how the ability to make believe and imagine that you're in a different situation is something that's really cool about people and to make people make believe for your purposes instead of their purposes is like truly degrading. People do not enjoy when they are being forced to, when they are being forced to make believe because all those creative energies are not being used for themselves. They are being used to, further someone else's bottom line and that is more degrading than even the rest of work in a lot of ways yeah because it's work reaching into your brain and your soul really as as, you know whatever we have of that it it is saying like not only do i have rights over your body to put you in a building or if you're working from home to put you in your you know quote-unquote home office and have you 
do certain things and have your work hours and answer calls and go to meetings and all of this stuff. But I also have rights to what goes on inside your mind and inside your soul. And there's something here. It, so Lou sent us an article called it's from it's it's a medium article from a blog called started up which is also cursed but the article is called yes man culture the price of a yes culture at work and don't worry the sub the subtitle is and yes woman culture and it's by shire lion i think is how that's pronounced anyway there's this it talks about why why do we believe no is an evil word Maybe it's because people don't like to hear the word no, or for some people, it represents too much conflict or a lack of can-do attitude. For some, it signifies an attack on the ego, their position of authority, or even self-worth. And I'm going to tell you right now, the person who most takes a no personally is a boss. That person hates hearing the word no more than anyone in this society. And the more you hate hearing no the more of a boss you are (laughs) like that. That's there's this weird thing because again, I'm not from around here come from a rather different cultural background in some ways. And the fact that somebody might say, that's not my job and I'm not going to help you with that. Or I'm going on break right now or whatever. The fact that that is, you know, like I grew up with that experience literally when I went to get my passport, my, my U S passport, we walked up to the window and the person was going on break, close the window in our faces. And you know what? At the time, rather annoyed. In retrospect, good for her. That was her mandate of break. She deserved that time. Over here, she would have been pushed to keep working through the time that she was supposed to go off and do something else with her time for once in her work day. And she might not even have gotten that time later on, depending on how much she felt she needed to keep her boss happy. And here's the thing, too, that, you know, we, we institute these regulations to try to keep bosses from doing all this stuff to us. And then they just somehow are able to continue breaking those in that way. Like, it is somehow a problem if you take too long a lunch or if you do something you're not supposed to be doing at your work computer. But we routinely read about employees being forced to work longer hours than they're supposed to for lower pay than they're supposed to. Uh, while being abused by bosses in ways that are criminal, literally, and nothing happens. So when you have all that on the boss's side, no wonder that they think they own your emotional landscape. They already own everything else. It's, there's sort of a tangent here, um, and maybe it's an entire can of worms that I'm opening here, but I'm, I'm struck by this conversation about, you know, being forced to be positive and treat everything with this can do attitude. And, you know, we've settled this question on the show in the past, but I, I do wish Gene Allen were here to answer the question of, is this emotional labor that we're describing? Yes. Is all this a form yes. of emotional labor? Yes. It is emotional yes. labor. Okay. Yes. I, 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 I needed that cheered up. Allen <laughs> on this one. Let's let's get Gene Allen on the the Twitter DM real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's emotional labor. We can add a clip from them in later. Just confirming. Fair enough. Yeah. We'll little little notes app saying <laughs> Gene Allen from Gene Allen. This is definitely emotional labor. Hundred percent. And in the proper definition of it. Anytime you have to do emotional labor, I honestly think you should be paid $50 an hour more. Uh, So service work, 100% emotional labor. Anytime your boss doesn't like you disagreeing with them to some degree, like, or having to pretend like, yeah, no, I'm totally not upset with this decision that's been forced on me. Uh, Like, yeah, anytime you have to do that. I get in trouble or I feel like I'm in trouble a lot at work because I don't know how to say yes to people when I truly believe that they're wrong. Um, and I, I feel like it's gotten me in a lot of trouble this year. Whereas other coworkers of mine have like, they might complain privately, but to a boss, they're like, yeah, no, sure. We can do that. Whatever. It's fine. And then they'll be like, oh, I can't believe that. And then I'll go to the same person in the same meeting and say like, no, this is no, we can't do this. This is not a good idea uh, for X, Y, Z. And then 
I, I feel like I've been shut out of a lot of decisions and a lot of opportunities because I'm not good at playing that game. And that's what it feels like to some degree. Just, just like <laughs> talk about tangent, talk about like credit scores. It's a game that somebody else has all the power to. And you're just, you have to play along or you can't advance and you can't participate. And as much as work sucks, like I still want to do a good job. Like, even though I've been doing this for almost four years now, like, and I understand work sucks. Like I still want to do well. I'm reminded a bit about we had an episode a few months back about that discussed in part like job interviews and the increasingly weird nature they've taken on, especially since the pandemic began of, you know, having to display a love for the job that you don't have yet in order just to qualify to work the job. And all and that feels like a subset of this problem of just having to display 110% can do, we love this attitude at all times during the job. It starts even before you're doing the job. And if you're somebody who listens to Punching Out or hosts Punching Out, I guess, you see right through that in ways and it becomes very hard to play that game. It becomes very hard to play by rules that you know are you know, arbitrary and stupid and bad. Well, because what they want, and and this is really the crux of what I was trying to say when I complained that this is a thing that, oh, there you go. I was complaining again. But this is the crux of what I was trying to get at, which is that when you make something an explicit educational goal, what you're actually saying is, I want you to figure out how to fake this. If you can't do it properly, if you, you know, for whatever reason, you know, uh, no matter what type of studying you try or what habits you learn or whatever the heck, you can't figure this out. I want you to at least learn the tips and tricks that you can kind of life hack it, you know? That's one thing when it comes to content and knowledge. But when you make teamwork skills and emotional management and that kind of thing, when you make those your explicit educational goals... It is very hard to read that as any other way that isn't just encouraging sociopathy because what you're doing is just creating a bunch like there are going to be kids that are naturally good at all of that stuff because they grew up in welcoming environments and and so on. And there are going to be kids who are going to rise above whatever conditions that they're in and still find ways to exhibit those. But there's going to be a ton of kids that are going to learn to fake it for the good of teachers and administrators and whatnot. And then they're going to be really good at faking it when they get into workplaces. And those are the kids that are going to end up being everybody's bosses because they've learned to play the game in a way that other bosses can tell this guy, this person, but it let's be honest in this society will almost always be a guy doesn't mean it, but he can play it. He pretends in the same way that I pretend to care. He pretends to, you know, want his employees to be alive at the end of the day in the way that I pretend to want to see my employees alive at the end of the day. This guy or gal or whatever is boss material. And that's how it's going to perpetuate itself. As a teacher, it really bothers me because, number one, it's a complete lack of trust in our expertise and in the idea that learning anything is worth it. But it's also an explicit attempt to create a class of people who have been literally schooled in how to pretend to be good human beings. Yeah. I I think even if you're somebody who cares in theory about efficiency or meritocracy, um, and we've explained in detail about how nobody really cares about these things and their myth and what have you on this show before, but like, the problem with this toxic positivity is that it creates mismatches. It creates, you know, people who can game the system by, you know, faking it until they feel it, so to speak, until one day they are everybody's boss because they have faked it long enough. And on like the business scale, it creates companies that don't even realize they have problems because nobody's allowed to say that they have problems. You know, even if, you're concerned about, you know, companies being efficient and 
you know, in a way that we on Punching Out aren't really, all this stuff is counterproductive. It is not helpful to be imposing this upon new workers and society more broadly because you're going to create mismatches that will ultimately result in real problems. Exactly. Well done. Solve the problem, right? Well, I don't think I have, but at any rate, (laughs) we should be moving on to our next segment. So we'll take a break here and then we will solve the problems as we always do in our third segment. Can't wait. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Yes, and? And Lou. Hey, y'all. It's the third segment of the show. Longtime listeners will know that this is the time for toxicity. I mean, positivity. Um, we're going to you know, try to take what we've Posse discussed positive. in the first 45 minutes of this no. episode uh, about the subject of these uh, employers that just really want their workers to be happy. What's so wrong with that? And, um, you know, try to come away with something that us as hosts and you as listeners can feel happy about so that you aren't too upset when the show is over. Real happy, not um, happy. What do we have on that front for this, um, for this week? Uh, what's the positive segment here? What are we leading off with? The non-toxic positive. You yes. can ingest this positivity. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's you should know that the Labor Department in 2016 did release a rule that says your employer cannot make you be happy at work. Uh, so everybody can hear that and be satisfied in their souls that uh, you do not actually have to be happy unless you want to be happy. Um, Specifically, what they were citing is the fact that uh, your bosses can't make you be happy because it interferes with your ability to uh, organize. So if mm-hmm. you cannot express... Being upset is a form of organizing. There That's you go. according to the NLRB. <laughs> yeah. We've just uh, invented emotional organizing. Go us. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. Uh, anyway, so, so the... Uh, National Labor Review Board, right? Relations. Relations. I said yep. review on the last episode, but I it's know. relations. It, okay. It's it's a bunch of letters <laughs> that do labor nationally. Uh, nailed it. That they do. <laughs> uh, Not wrong. <laughs> there we go. So they ruled that your bosses can't make you or, or can't restrict your ability to discuss uh, negative things at work. Um, because it, it would interfere with your ability to organize and to potentially unionize. Um, like if you're not allowed exactly with what Stitch Fit Fix was doing with not allowing negative comments on the thread, that's actually a violation of this rule. Um, I This rule came out in 2016, which was another era entirely. Um, and I don't 20, think the Trump admin- years ago. Yeah, 20,000 years ago. I don't think the uh, Trump administration had any interest whatsoever in enforcing this rule. Um, they were probably big improv fans themselves. Um, but there's. I, I, think, I think you'll find their governing philosophy was pretty improvisational, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that tracks. Um, but so this uh, thing, this is a, a, late, a violation of people's rights to not let them organize. I imagine, though, that Stitch Fix's situation is they're going to claim that a forum is different from a workplace and that banning negativity on your forum, that's just content moderation. That's got nothing to do with preventing organizing. You know, it's not their fault. Their workers are all working at home separate, unable to contact each other otherwise. Ryan, um, you just channeled them way too well. So I'm concerned about your headspace. And also, that's not what a forum is. 
Uh, message board, you know, what have yeah. you. Yeah. Um, by Point the is. way, in, to, to be really clear, because I want to get the text of the ruling here, because it is it includes some details that make this particularly uh, hardening, let's say. This is from an article in HuffPost. I hate that it's called that. Officially, your employer can't force you to be happy at work, and I will add that uh, the subhead is two lightning bolts on either side of the emoji with like the smoke coming out of its nostrils. The the I believe the official title is the face with the look of triumph by Shane Farrow. This is from May sixth, twenty sixteen, and the text of the NLRB ruling here includes the following paragraph. Because labor disputes and union organizing efforts frequently involve controversy, hmm, criticism of the employer, arguments, and less than, and positive is in quotes, statements about terms and conditions of employment, employees reading the rule here, would reasonably steer clear of a range of potentially controversial, but protected communication in the workplace for fear of running afoul of the rule. And I gotta say, I'm pretty impressed that a government agency was like, this is going to have a chilling effect. And and that's why we're not going to do that. That's why we're not going to be on your side about this. You don't you don't see that from post war and Supreme Court stuff. Yeah. Um, just to add a bit more specifics, this was they were ruling on a case involving the Communications Workers of America, which was a union representing T-Mobile workers in this case, and uh, the issue was in T-Mobile's employee handbook, which included a clause about positivity reading in part quote employees are expected to maintain a positive work environment by communicating in a manner that is conducive to effective working relationships with internal and external customers clients co-workers and management which i would have thought was just vague enough to skirt by the nlrb rules but actually no the nlrb said that's you know just vague enough to be a problem actually which it, it seems weird because I feel like my workplace has a something like that as their general guiding principle is is you need to you know play nice with others. Um, well, that th- seems like something you should be talking to the NORB about and not me. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I'll work on that. Uh, or or it could be wrong. I mean, this is something again. Po- toxic positivity and this this need to be positive at work is so fundamental to how every single workplace wants to operate that I think it is hard to, to distinguish between what is actually policy, uh, formal policy and what is just practice. If that makes sense. We're not talking about policy. We're talking about practice. (laughs) Not policy, not policy, not, not the policy that you formulate and you implement. We're talking about practice. (laughs) Uh, yeah, uh, it it is. <laughs> We've not referenced Mourinho and Iverson in back to back weeks. This is incredible. Uh, what a golden age of punching out we're having here. Well, the thing about it is, though, what you said, right? A lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, the problem with the whole climate of toxic positivity, is that it is uh, fundamentally the problem is that it's inorganic right? Like, not to toot our collective horn here, but you've heard us over the past 50-whatever minutes, occasional pun-induced groan aside, have a good time talking to each other about these issues, right? Like, you can hear that this is an experience that we are naturally having. It is not caused because somebody is trying to reach into our brain and pull the levers to make us have the correct autonomic responses. Nobody's giving us Duchenne electric shocks or any of that stuff. And part of the and, and the problem that we're having is that you've got all these workplaces that out of either misguided belief in research about productivity or because they're made up of ghouls who want you to feel happy at all, co- who want you to pretend to be happy so they can control you better, they force that on you. And what, you know, they they try to make these weirdo, uh, you know, T-Mobile went a little bit too far and got smacked down. That's what always happens. But there are plenty of places where by just leaving it out of the handbook and making it something more like, well, it doesn't really go about the spirit of the 
operating system, it's allowed. It it fits into that penumbra. I maintain that the real the real fix here, the real thing we need to do, we really need to stop expecting customer service to be good. That is my fix. I am very freaking tired of living in a country where everyone has expe- has the expectation that every service interaction when you are on the customer side is going to go well for you. That's not how any other part of life works. You don't get on the road and go like, surely everyone will drive like a normal person and I will encounter no maniacs on my way. <laughs> you don't go to handle like, if you're a service person, you don't go to handle a client and go like, this is going to go incredibly well. I don't at my job go before every class and go, I made all of the preparations correctly. So this should be a cakewalk. Nobody does that. You should not be allowed to expect that out of service. Timothy Noah years ago, I forget the title of the uh, article, pardon me, but he wrote an article about how he found British customer service refreshing because to him, that was a reminder that those workers have rights and they can't just be fired and you can't force them to be happy. And so they would, you know, they weren't not doing things for you, but they also didn't pretend that their job was the most important thing in their lives. And I think that might go a, a, a long way, actually, towards solving a lot of other cultural problems in this country, too. Amen. Yeah, having to uh, do less pretending that my job is the most important thing. I mean, for a lot of people, like you said, that would go a long way. There would be a big change if we all just quit with this fiction that uh, this is the one thing that motivates us in life and the one thing we care about. It's because it's not true and pretending that it is, is unhealthy on a number of levels. And you make the point about customer service and to sort of make explicit the comparison that you're making, you know, dealing with your boss is a form of customer service because much like an angry customer, you know that an upset boss will be a problem for you. An upset boss can talk to your manager. They can, uh, you know, ask that you be fired if you aren't making them happy. It's, you know, it's the same principle, just directed in a different way. Do you know how frustrating and irritating it is to work in a industry that also has to compete with the customer service from Disney people? Can't say I do, but uh, continue. <laughs> it's it's hellish because, first of all, if you work for Disney, you are part of a cult. Like You have really partaken of the Kool-Aid in a very unhealthy way. And the expectation from both the, from the guest side and from the customer side is that every interaction needs to be like that. And needs to be like, hey guys, I'm so happy to be here. We're in the most magical place on earth. Ah! Like it is like you can't compete with that and you can't have that any kind of actual interaction with people because that's the expectation. And it's it's you can't do anything with it. And then to work for that kind of environment as well is uh like we, I, I don't know if we've ever specifically talked about the abuses that Disney has perpetuated on uh, its workers or the environment or anything else that it can get away with, um, but like that's not a good place to work f- for. It, it really isn't. Like they can fake it because everybody's bought into this idea that they work for the most magical place on earth, uh, which is why they can abuse their workers so horrifically in many cases. Um, it, it's been nice knowing you, Lou. <laughs> I've taken on the mouse. Yep. Sorry, guys. Yep. I'll miss you. It's been nice having a radio show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah, nice not right. being in prison. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, I mean, the only good Thank thing we have. Thank you for bringing the ire of a famously litigious company upon our small radio show. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, team. Um, I guess the, what we can say is at least uh, we aren't in based out of Orlando. That's the one thing we got going for us is we're not on their land as far as we're aware. Uh, so I think you'll find everywhere is their land. Almost. It is bad. Um, but like, we don't have to, we can't live like that. Like, we're real humans and we're not cartoons. 
we can't live like that. We have to have some kind of up and down with our emotions and some ability to actually acknowledge the feelings that we are having and and make them real. Because that's honestly the only way we can make anything better is if we acknowledge the bad parts. Yeah, I, I think that's wonderfully put. And um a great place to end this week's show on. I've got to edit a few clauses out of the Punching Out Employee Handbook. But um, <laughs> for this week, I'm Ryan. I was Noah. I'm still Lou. And this was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out, and remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.